Welcome to Had to Be There, the podcast that allows you to explore the world's greatest destinations through the stories of those who have been there. Here to ignite the wanderlust within, your host and favorite travel planner, Kelly Acevedo. And welcome to the Had to Be There podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and this is episode 40. In today's episode, we are going to be traveling with a large group of teenagers to Europe in the 80s. They had quite an unexpected adventure, and I can't wait for you to hear about it. But before we jump in, if you thought I was going to pass up on the chance to tie this episode somehow back to Disney, you were sorely mistaken. So if you've ever been to Disneyland, you know that one of the big attractions over on the West Coast Park that they don't have at the East Coast Park is the Matterhorn bobsleds. This was a project that Walt himself worked on and advocated for, and it's modeled off the actual Matterhorn Mountain in Switzerland. Switzerland is going to be an important country for our episode today. So I wanted to take the opportunity and kind of talk about like how this attraction came to be. As it turns out, in the 50s, the Walt Disney Company was producing this film, Third Man on the Mountain, which I had never seen or heard of, (laughs) full disclosure, Uh, but Walt flew out to Switzerland to oversee some of the production and was just so overcome by the beauty of this place. He went into a souvenir shop, found a postcard with a picture of Matterhorn Mountain on it, sent it over to one of his head Imagineers, and on the back just said, Vic build this and signed it Walt. And that is how the Matterhorn bobsled attraction came to be, which is pretty cool if you think about it. So my guest today is well-versed in the podcast universe and entertainment law uh, and just a really pretty fascinating guy. I hope that you guys will take the opportunity to check out some of the links in the episode show notes and get to know him a little better and check out some of the stuff that he's been working on. So without any further ado, let's welcome Gordon to the show. All right, Gordon, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could be here with me today. Kelly, I'm glad too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we jump in, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself and tell us a little about you? Well, as you said, my name is Gordon Firemark and I live in Los Angeles with my wife and three kids and four cats and a dog and a mortgage and all the good stuff that goes (laughs) with being a grown up adult. (laughs) Uh, I practice entertainment and media law in Los Angeles and um, uh, especially focus on live theater as well as film and television and I'm very fortunate to have uh, built a name for myself as the podcast lawyer. So a lot of podcasters and podcast companies come to me for help as well with uh, all the good stuff, intellectual property and and contracts and planning out their businesses and all that kind of stuff. So yes. I like what I do. 
Absolutely. And I was on your website a little bit and I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I should be doing all of these things. Um, (laughs) But it's very, very much just a hobby for me right now. But as this grows, I will be spending more and more time on your website. Okay. (laughs) Just so you know. Um, So you're from L.A. That's amazing. I love L.A. Were you born and bred out there? Well, actually, no, since this is a travel oriented show, I was actually born in Oxford, England. My, my parents, um, my dad was doing a postdoctoral study program at Oxford university and, uh, they took the, the boat over to England. This is actually another great travel story that we'll get into. (laughs) They took the boat over to England, uh, while my mom was pregnant with me and, on the boat ride over, their ship actually collided with another ship at sea. <gasps> what? Um, yeah, the, there was a merchant ship that had had a fire or something, and uh, the oh law. Oh my of, gosh! Right, yeah, the law of the sea is that if there's a um, an, a maritime emergency, the nearest ships are required by law to respond and go and try to help anybody who's, you know, floating in the water or whatever. So they get called over. My dad was a doctor. He was, he was still training as a doctor, but, uh, of course the call goes out aboard ship. Is there, are there any doctors on board? Mm -hmm. Will you please report to this deck and so on. And while they're standing there on the deck waiting to go and see if there are casualties and sailors that need help, uh, um, the ship that they were on basically crashed into this other ship that didn't have any lights or anything on. And it wasn't a terrible, you know, they broke out a few windows and damaged the ship a little bit, but everything. So uh, that's travel story. Number one, while I was still in utero. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I, um, I was born in Oxford, England and Mm -hmm. came back to the States when I was in my, you know, six or seven months old kind of range Mm -hmm. and uh, spent a lot of time in Chicago and then Washington DC and landed in Boston, Massachusetts before again, my dad was doing all his training and those kinds of things. And then we ended up in Los Angeles once he was finished with that. And I basically grew up here until, until the events that we're going to talk about. Oh, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. So that kind of answered my next question, which is when were you bitten by the travel bug? Well, I think having parents that were avid travelers and and my parents would go on, you know, international trips probably once a year or something like that. So they really sort of taught us that travel was a normal, good thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they took us to Mexico and they took us to Hawaii and they took us places uh, from time to time. And we traveled around the U.S. a lot as a family as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I sort of was raised with it. It it was, you know, just something you did. And then uh, during my senior year in high school, actually did a little travel with groups from school, uh, I was very fortunate. I, we grew up in an affluent community and, and, um, we were able to take school trips to New York to see theater and things like that. Yeah. And then my senior year, there was a couple of teachers at the school who every summer organized a, a senior trip to Europe. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And it was competitive. You had to sign up and write an essay to why would you, why you should go and all that kind of oh, stuff. Man. And, um, and, uh, I got to go and it was amazing. So right after graduation, a group of about, what is it? About 45 or 50 of us get on a plane and go over and get met by a bus driver who happened to be named Gordon. Oh, how funny. <laughs> An Englishman named Gordon with his bus. And he, he picked us up in Amsterdam and, uh, we began this great six week long tour of Europe. Wow. 
wow, that's an insane trip for a bunch of freshly graduated. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about like the logistics of getting a group that size. (laughs) I I can't like my brain is just trying to process it. I was in line um, for TSA a few months ago Uh behind a group of like maybe seven or eight teenagers. And I thought that looked like a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So like just like the volume of teenagers, that's, that's a lot of, these two teachers, a, they were these very popular teachers in school. They're both English teachers actually. And and they were buddies and they, they were the track coaches at our school as well. They Mm. had it down to a science. They knew that, you know, that we'd have meetings every week for the last half of the year leading up to it. And we had to learn a little bit of each of the languages and we had to learn wow. the, the money and things like that. And they gave us a dress code and the dress code I think was partly designed to keep us in line. We weren't wearing just jeans and t-shirts. It was yeah, slacks sure. and dressy, you know, kind of stuff. And that got us treated very well on the ground in Europe as well. Um, but yeah, and, and they made it very clear that if you, crossed a line that you shouldn't cross, you were getting sent home or left behind. <laughs> wow. You know, if you That's serious. The, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're staying in a hotel and if you missed the bus that we were going to the next town the next day, you could meet us in the next town. If you could get there, that was sort of how it went. And, um, so it, it, I think we were all a little scared <laughs> of I consequences. Mean, yeah. That's impressive that, I mean, but just uh, the planning and preparation that went into it. I'm, yeah, I'm it was impressed. cool. It was cool. <laughs> and it was a great learning experience. It really was sort of an extension of the of the education. We we had to learn a little bit about art history and understand the what the museums we were going to be seeing were and what was right. all, you know. So, um, you know, again, very fortunate to have grown up in an affluent community where, mm-hmm. you know, the families had the money to send us on a trip like that. Sure, absolutely. But uh Boy, I wish everybody could get that kind of experience and and exposure to alternate cultures at an early age. I think it would the world would be a better place. Oh, I 100 percent agree. That's such a good point. So this story that you're telling us today was this uh, this was part of this experience that you had. Okay, so where are we when this event? So we're about three weeks into the trip. We've been to Amsterdam and into Germany and down into Italy. And uh, the morning before this event happened, we we left Florence, Italy, and we were going to be riding the bus over the Swiss Alps. Uh, into the town of Zermatt, Switzerland, which is a lovely ski community, ski resort community where there's no cars, actually. You have to take wow. a funicular railroad up to this town to get in there. And uh, it's in the, the shadow of the of the, the Matterhorn, the real Matterhorn, not the one at Disneyland. Not the one at Disneyland? <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> and um, and uh, we, we stopped for a, a picnic lunch alongside the highway, um, just after crossing over into Switzerland and we all had our wine. Hey, 18 year old kids getting to drink and you yeah. know, we had our wine and our cheese and our baguettes and all that kind of good stuff and a satisfying lunch. And we get back on the bus and we're coming up over the crest of this, of this pass. And as we uh, start down the, the other side of the pass was called the Simplon pass um, sort of in the middle of the country of Switzerland, if I recall correctly, um, the bus is going kind of fast and I was sitting near the front of the bus and the two teachers were up in the front as well. And, and after a couple of minutes, 
the bus didn't feel like it was fully under control. And one of the teachers says, Hey Gordon to the driver, Hey Gordon, what's up? And I remember vividly the song, I can't get no satisfaction was playing on the, on the radio. Oh my gosh. This the, is just like Rolling ingrained Stones. in your brain. I can well, feel it. it. Yeah. <laughs> and Gordon turns to Joe, the teacher and says, I've lost me breaks, mate. <gasps> so here's a busload of 50 kids careening down these you know, mountain roads in Switzerland. Oh my God. And every once in a while, there's a, uh, uh, like a bridge over a big, deep crevasse and things like that. And oh he's swerving God. out into the middle of the road to go over these bridges. And then he's <gasps> swerving up onto the embankments, trying to slow us down is snapping off signposts and trying, you know, doing everything he can to keep this bus from going totally out of control. Right. And along we're going, it must've been several miles that we were careening at these high speed. It must've been 80 miles an hour or something like that. And he's trying to slow us down. And then we come up and there's a hairpin turn. Oh my God. And you know, it's, it's switchbacks, mountain roads going back and forth to, mm-hmm. to manage the, the altitude change. And he looks at the switchback and he shouts on into the back, everybody hold on. And uh, we're not going to be able to make that turn. He knows the bus is going to roll over if he tries to turn over right. at that speed, you know, turn it at that speed. So he takes us through the, the guardrail and <gasps> down this little slope. Oh my God. And then off a cliff. Oh my God. Now it was not a giant cliff. It was a 40 foot drop. I mean, it's still a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe even less than 40 feet to be really honest. But so the front end of the bus goes down, boom, and the back end of the bus and, and the bus stops. The back end of the bus is still up on the upper level. Oh, so my God. the bus is at about a, like a 60 degree angle. <gasps> and of course, no seat belts in these touring sure, coaches. Sure. At least back then. This is 1984. <laughs> um, and so we all wind up piled up in the front of the bus. And the driver and one of the teachers, the two guys that were in the very front row, they flew through the front windshield. <gasps> now, the driver tucked and rolled and stood up <laughs> and oh walked away from God. it. And Joe, the other one who hadn't quite been able to see what was going to happen exactly, he um, was, a, I'm trying to remember who it was. Yeah, Joe um, also went through the windshield, but it looked like he sort of took the windshield on face first. And so oh he really God. was badly cut up and his nose was, was very... Uh, torn up and and thinking, I mean, they had to actually perform some reconstructive surgery. And the other teacher had, uh, uh, fractured his pelvis. I think it was and a couple of other fractures. And, uh, and there were a handful of the other students with fairly serious injuries, but nobody died. Oh, wow. I I, I credit Gordon Smith, the driver for keeping us all alive. And basically out of the 50 of us, I would say 46 walked away from it. Wow. 45 and, and a few, you know, needed to be taken to hospitals and we were actually all taken to the hospitals and checked out and sure. then sent on to our hotels, except for the few who needed to stay in the hospitals. Yeah. And, uh, boy, you know, when you're 18 years old and you've had a, a somewhat sheltered existence, right. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, talk about a, a life lesson. So we get to our hotels and you know, we're aching and sore and whatever else. Sure. And, and we were supposed to spend one night in this town, or maybe two nights in Zermatt and then move on to the next stop in our journey. But because we had people in the hospital and th- they just made the decision to skip the next stop or, or shorten mm-hmm. the next stop on the yeah. trip. And we're all calling our parents and, you know, 
checking in and the, the international newspapers care. Oh, I forgot to say, I got out of the bus. I st- piled up other kids on top of me or whatever. I stood up and I had a cut on my ankle and, and I stood up badly and tweaked my back somehow. Uh-huh. But I was a very avid photographer. I was doing photojournalism stuff in, uh, in school beforehand. And yeah. so I got up and I went and found my camera. <laughs> and Priorities. Started, well, I started taking pictures of yeah, exactly. The Had to Be There podcast is brought to you by Vacations by Kelly, where your host becomes your travel agent. As a proud affiliate of Academy Travel, Kelly specializes in Disney destinations and can help with all non-Disney excursions worldwide as well. When you book with Kelly, you're getting much more than a travel agent. You're getting a personalized concierge-level travel partner. And the best part? Her services are completely free. It's true. So when you're ready to make your next travel dream a reality, Vacations by Kelly is ready to make it happen. Visit hadtobethere.net slash vacations to get started. So I started taking pictures of of the accident scene and and what was going on. And um, at some point, Gordon, the driver, came to me and said, can I ask you for that roll of film so I can send it back to the home office so the company can submit the insurance claims. And so I gave it to him. And of course the next, the next morning, my photographs were in all of the international newspapers. Oh oh my God. Without credit, of course, which, (laughs) well, it leads to me becoming a copyright lawyer, right? (laughs) (laughs) Everything happens for its reason, I guess you you could say. Anyway, so we, we, we're calling our parents and they're seeing these photos and waiting to hear who, you know, whatever. And even you talk about the logistics and the organization that these guys had figured out, mm-hmm. they had set up a phone tree. So they would make a call and then, you know, one international call. And then all of the parents would each call two more and two more and two right. more. So everybody got the word very quickly. Yeah. And a couple of the kids who's, you know, had the more serious injuries, their parents immediately flew over and wow. the rest of us, you know, I was saying, Hey mom, I'm ready to come home. This is too much. Mm. And my parents said, uh, uh-uh. no, <laughs> you're staying. You're going to finish this trip. Wow. And I think most of the, I know all the other parents did. So everybody who could got back on a new bus a few days later and moved on to the next town, Lausanne in Switzerland, and then on to Paris. And, you know, we continued our trip and one girl had had her front teeth knocked out. Oh my God. And so we have pictures of us all hanging out in front of the Eiffel Tower and there she is with these big gaps in her mouth, you know, but but smiling these enormous grins and we still, we had a wonderful, wonderful time the rest of that trip. Wow. And, um, you know, if, if the big life lesson I will talk about is, is that stuff happens and you keep going. Yeah. And that, you know, I, 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 I have to wonder how would my life be different? How would my experience and my outlook on things be different had right. mom and dad said, sure, we'll send you a plane ticket. Come on home. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. That's unreal. How did the vibe, I guess, change after that on this trip? <laughs> you know, <sighs> like, I mean, I imagine the beginning of the trip is all kind of fun and games because you know like you said like we're 18 years old and we're drinking wine and you know with our our beer in germany yeah (laughs) right with our best friends you know in europe and then something like this happens like how does the tone change after that you know i think 
I think everybody started taking things a little more seriously, mm. but we'd all been through this together and we were all supporting each other. And, you know, someone's missing yeah. teeth and someone's got a broken arm, you know, those kinds of things. And we were taking care of each other. Yeah. And um, showing each other the kind of support that we needed. And, uh, the, I mean, some of these people are, are friends of mine to this day. You know, here it I is. I was going to ask. I, I imagine that's a yeah. huge bonding kind of experience, you know, uh-huh. yeah. and that's almost, almost 40 years ago now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it's really one of the, it's a formative experience and yeah. not the kind I would want any kid to have well, to go sure. through. <laughs> sure. But, uh, you know, I can honestly say, I think that it, it is part of making me who I am and who I've become and, and my mm-hmm. approach to helping people in the world and, and all of that is that, you know, Everything can come to a screeching halt very suddenly. Yeah. And so we have to live every moment to the fullest and soak up the experiences that we have and let them shape us and make them, you know, a part of our being. Oh, man, I couldn't have said it better. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I have to ask, though, did they continue doing this trip after that year? They did. These guys wow. kept, kept doing, I think, I think for a year or so afterward, they may have, there was something, but two years later, my sister took the trip. Wow. And three years after that, my other sister took the trip and, and had the same wonderful experience. What I'll tell you is that they never want, never again took the bus over the pass. Well, sure. <laughs> there was, there's a train that goes through a tunnel. It's actually ah. the, the Paris to the Orient Express goes through the Simplon tunnel. And so they okay. were able to meet the meet the train on one side and, and ride through the tunnel and then meet it on the other side and, uh, and continue. So that was the main difference that the, the other kids never, <laughs> never had experienced. <laughs> right. So that's great though. That I'm really glad to hear that they kept it going. Cause this really does sound like an amazing opportunity. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. For young people. I mean, so, man. And, uh, so this was July of 1984. So just mm-hmm. about 38 years ago. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Uh, and we all, we wrapped up the trip in, um, in Ireland and then England and we flew home from London mm-hmm. and we get off the plane here in, in London and there our parents are all at, waiting at the, you know, international mm-hmm. customs terminal, whatever. And they've got t-shirts for us that said, I survived the Europe trip in 1984, <laughs> 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 which you can only do if everybody survived, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's sweet. Isn't that great? That's so, very cute. And then, and then the couple of other kids that had stayed in the hospital and couldn't continue on the trip with us, they came home a few days later and we all went to meet them at the airport too. And so it really Aww. was this sense of, of community and camaraderie and almost family within yeah. this group. And, um, yeah, it, it was. Oh, I love that. See, I was nervous when I, when I heard <laughs> that this story was going to be about a bus going off a cliff. I was mm. like, Ooh. But, but it had a happy ending. So yay. I'll tell you you though, uh, just as one of the after effects for me, you know, the, the following fall I was going off to college and I went to the university of Oregon. So I drove with my dad, we drove up from Los Angeles to Eugene, Oregon. And in the course of doing that, you cross over a fairly good sized mountain range near, um, near uh, Lake Shasta here in, uh, in Northern California. And while we were on those windy mountain roads, I had some 
post-traumatic stress symptoms. It was just very, very hard for me to sort of (laughs) be in the car riding. Um, And, you know, over a couple of years of driving that road back and forth, I I learned to deal with it. And, uh, you know, now 80 miles an hour on a highway is no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Now, 30 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Wow. So you mentioned that you've gotten to do quite a bit of travel um, beyond your Europe trip after yeah. high school. Um, do you know, is is there like a tally? Do you know how many like countries you've visited so far? Uh, you know, I haven't kept a count and men, much of that travel has been to the same places because I was born in England. I've gone back there a few times because mm-hmm. I do a lot of work in the live theater. London is a, is a, destination that I've gone to for, for work as well as pleasure. Um, been to Paris a couple of times, um, uh, visited Japan when a friend of mine was living there and, and wow. uh, got to work with him. And, uh, but I've still got a few places to, to visit. I, it hasn't been <laughs> as much travel as I would like. I wish I could do these kind of trips every year, but right. you know, money is an issue. Well, sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> for all of us. Right. <laughs> Wow. That's great though. Mm-hmm. What is, uh, what's at the top of your travel bucket list right now? I I have yet to be to the continent of Africa or to Australia and New Zealand. So those three Ooh. are fighting for the top spots. Yeah. Um, those are good ones. I think if I have to choose right now, I'd say I'd love to go to Australia. Oh, I have same. friends and, and colleagues <laughs> there, so that's part of it. But uh, Oh, definitely. Yeah. That always mm-hmm. kind of makes it a little sweeter. Yeah. Yeah. Someone to visit. (laughs) Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your um, entertainment law update podcast. And you have another one also, right? Uh, Yeah. Um, So entertainment law update is a uh, a monthly roundup of legal news and uh, case law dealing with the areas of entertainment. We actually record our next episode in a couple of days. Uh, a co-host and I, she's a, uh, also an entertainment lawyer. She focuses more on the music industry and I focus more on film, television, theater, and digital media kinds of things. But okay. she's in Texas and I'm here. And, and when I discovered mm-hmm. podcasting, um, gosh, 13, 14 years ago, I reached out and found her via Twitter, which was then a new thing. Wow. <laughs> and we've become good friends and colleagues and co-hosted a show together for 13 years. Wow. 100, 147 monthly episodes we've done together. Wow. So it That's is very a lot impressive. And um, yeah. Yeah. So podcasting is a great medium and uh, I know you're, you're much earlier in your journey, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know you know the power and, and still in my infancy yeah. stage. <laughs> um, and then the other show that I'm, that you mentioned is, is something called more, better, faster. And it's my, sort of offer an ability to, to coach and advise and give people just some ideas about how to do more, do it better and, and get things done faster so they can achieve their goals and their dreams and, and, uh, and get there faster. Um, <laughs> I actually, uh, that show has been on hiatus now for a good six months or more. I just sort of lost, lost my, uh, oomph for that yeah, one, but yep. it, it's coming back. So good. Yeah. That's wonderful. What is it about this um, area? Do you feel like you were so drawn to um, in, I guess, two part question in the entertainment side of 
law, um, but also in the sphere of podcasting. Well, uh, I'll give you a little bit of my my origin story in in the entertainment (laughs) arena, if you don't mind. I I was at a very young age. I got exposed to theater. My my parents, I guess they were, you know, worldly people. And (laughs) and uh, uh, in addition to all the travel, they were theater goers themselves. But we were living in Massachusetts near Boston and uh, it was a K through 12 school. So all the kids in one place and the high school kids were doing their production of Oliver and the mm-hmm. kindergarten kids. I was a kindergartner at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kindergartner kids gotten to go, got to go see a dress rehearsal and they sat us down in the auditorium and they said, Shh, be quiet and be sure to clap at the, you know, when everybody else claps. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you that the house lights went down and the stage lights came on and the curtains flew out of the, uh, you know, up and, and all that. And boy, was I hooked. And I love I, it. Yeah. I just loved being in that environment. And so mm-hmm. I really, I went home and I was telling mom and dad and excited. And so they started taking us to see shows and, um, cut to a few years later, we've, we've, uh, moved across the country and I'm in Los Angeles and, and I, we were, I was getting into some low grade kinds of trouble with other classmates of mine, actually mm. ki- same kids from my Cub Scout troop of all things. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> but somehow the school principal identified me and said, I'm going to get this kid. And he comes to me and he says, I want you to run the lights and sound for the school variety show. Mm. So there's the theater thing coming back again. Yeah. So I got involved in doing that. And I, all through high school, I was working in the school theater program and, um, and actually working professionally as a sound technician in the local community theater, a professional wow. theater here in Los Angeles and at some of the theme parks and, you know, doing, uh, you know, real production stuff started college as a theater major and switched over to radio, television, and film. And so I've always been focused on the entertainment Mm -hmm. industry. The, the law thing came up my senior year in college. I've finished up all the stuff in my major. I'm taking some of the graduate level courses on, you know, government regulation of the media and Mm -hmm. policy and management issues in entertainment. (laughs) And I was doing well. I was the, I was the top scorer in those classes among all these grad students. Wow. And so the, the professor comes to me and says, you really ought to think about going to law school. And I was applying to go to film school at the time. Yeah. But uh, she says, you should think about going to law school. And I laughed. I thought that was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> but I said, okay, what the heck? I'll take the, the admissions test, the LSAT. Sure. And, and I got into law school. I didn't get into film school. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. <laughs> but I wasn't ready to go on with schooling under those circumstances. So mm-hmm. I, I came back to LA and I started working uh, in a, a live television sports and events coverage and those kinds mm-hmm. of things and still doing theater stuff on the side. And, uh, um, and then, you know, the, the writers went on strike in 1988 when I was mm-hmm. looking, you know, and, and uh, that was sort of my indicator. Okay. Maybe now's a good time to go to law school. And I did. And here we are Wow, 30 something years later. So man, what's meant to be finds a way. I tell you <laughs> <laughs> all because that bus driver infringed on the copyrights in my photographs. <laughs> I really like that as your background story, by the way. <laughs> it's funny. I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it until we were talking just now, but, um, and it wasn't I like, something I, like I was that upset as an about. origin story. Like yeah. that man had his parents getting killed and you had this guy stealing your pictures. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
Gordon, this has been such a blast. Thank you so much for sharing some of your tales with us. If anybody wants to connect, where can we find you? Well, uh, for I'm also very fortunate to have a unique, distinctive name. So GordonFiremark.com mm-hmm. is probably the, the best sort of hub for my stuff. My law practice is at Firemark.com. And uh, that podcast is entertainmentlawupdate.com. And of course, on social media, Gordon Firemark. Excellent. And I'll include links to all that in the episode show notes so people can easily find you. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been such a blast. Kelly, it's been great. You're a terrific interviewer. And and, uh, um, thank you for the opportunity to share something I hadn't thought about in decades. (laughs) Absolutely. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to show your support is to rate or review us on whatever platform you're listening. And if this episode left you feeling like you just had to be there, reach out to Kelly to start planning an adventure of your own. Don't forget to follow us at HadToBeThere203 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And visit our website, www.HadToBeThere.net. Until next time, get out there and make your own had to be there memories.